Hello and welcome to the Odds Checker betting show. This is your Premier League 23-24 preview with a bit of a twist. We'll get into that in a second. I'm your host, George Ellick, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Ali Maxwell. That's Ali, nice. we work together a lot on Not The Top 20, previewing EFL content. Now we've been stepped up to the big time. Absolutely, yeah, making a Premier League 1-20 debut. We're both addicted at this time of year to making predictions of league tables from bottom to top. We've spent a lot of time chatting about this. We think we've come up with something that will resemble the final Premier League table. Hopefully. And yeah, excited to, to kind of prove our worth, I guess, at Premier League level. Let's see. Yeah, stick to the EFL. I can already read that in the comments. <laughs> um, but yeah, as Ali said, this is a preview where we're going we're to be going from 20th to 1st in our predictions of how the table will look. And the reason for that is really exciting. We've got the million pound predictor we've launched here at Odds Checker. Uh, in time for the new Premier League season. Simply predict the final table in the Premier League in the 23-24 season for the chance to win one million pounds. It seems a lot. I can't believe I get to say that. A million pounds <laughs> if you uh, predict the table correctly. There is strictly one entry per user. Entries close on the 15th of September at four o'clock, uh, 18 plus only, UK only as well. Full T's and C's to apply that you can find on the website. Uh, so make sure you do go and check that out and hopefully we can give you some insight to help you choose how you're going to use your entry and how you're going to order these teams. Without much more to talk about, it's time to go through the teams. And down in 20th, Luton are unsurprisingly the favourites for the drop, but we don't have them 20th. They're 4-11, to 4-6. Second favourites are Sheffield United, promoted last season automatically, but... Some negativity around the club at the moment. Ali, why do you think we have them? Well, why do we have them in 20th? I think a lot of negativity looking from the outside in. And I think that could help to galvanise Paul Heckingbottom and the way that he motivates his squad to start the season. Because it's fair to say a lot of people are looking at the Sheffield United team, in particular having lost Ilman and Jai and Sander Berger. I would say they're two best attacking players. And Jai from a kind of number nine slash ten role where he was their key goal scorer and key creator and Berger providing the thrust from midfield, a really, really quality ball carrier in the final third, a goal threat and also someone that could carry the ball forward in transition and provide them a threat on that front. Both of those players are gone from their team and I think it's fair to say that the, the quality of player left behind is much lower than those two as individuals, particularly in the final third. So instantly you're concerned about a team that is A, moving up a level and B, losing what we consider to be basically their two key players mm. in the top end of the pitch. So high concerns there for me. And then just generally, like you, you want the club going up to be going up with incredible energy and atmosphere brought on by promotion. I don't feel that necessarily with Blades. And it's not just because of the departure of those two key players, although that has had a big impact. It's also because of the ownership situation uh, where the owner of the club has been very openly trying to sell it for quite some time now, uh, the understanding is that he basically isn't willing or able to, to fund the club long term at the level that it needs funding. And so he has very openly been looking for investment to sell the club. Um, there, there are lots of rumours that that is uh, imminent, but that's been the case for some time. There's been a few sort of false dawns already. For me, this doesn't help paint a picture uh, of, a, of, of the club heading into the Premier League, a, a together club, a club with everyone pulling in the right direction. I think it's more off-field um, uncertainty that I think, unfortunately, threatens to undermine what Paul Hackingbottom has done, which is, up to this point, a sensational job at, at Sheffield United. I mean, so personnel issues for me, uh, ownership uncertainty as well, even tactically, I'm finding it really difficult with the players that they have at their disposal to work out. Are they going to sit deep and be a counter-attacking team? Well, they don't really have the players at the top end of the pitch to be a big threat on that front for me. Are they going to try and press high and be a team that plays on the front foot? Well, I think that could come with some real issues because they simply will not have the talent advantage mm. in basically any game this season. So, big concerns. Am I excited for Anis Slimani, who they've signed from Bromby? Yes, I am. I think he's going to be very energetic in the centre of the park. But, of course, I'm proven at this level, the toughest level of them all. Yeah, that's why we have Blades, Sheffield United, down in 20th. Uh, in 19th, we are... Recording this, as there's some kind of speculation going on around this club, it's, it's Wolves, uh, who we currently have in 19th. Uh, we're recording this at about quarter past three on Tuesday, the 8th of August. News has broken this morning that uh, Yulin Lopetegui is supposedly in crunch talks with the Wolves hierarchy around possibly leaving the club. Gary O'Neill is rumoured to be the person that's taking over. 
and this might age terribly because maybe when this goes out, Lopetegui signed a new contract and Gary O'Neill is, is nowhere near Wolves. But we have to factor that in here. And even if we didn't, I still think it's pretty hard to be positive about Wolves' chances uh, going forward. If you look at last season, they were third bottom for non-penalty expected goals ratio. And if you take from January onwards, where they're perceived to have you know, improved under Lopetegui, they're down second bottom as well. So you can see there that even though they managed to stay up and did so you know, fairly comfortably in the end, having been embroiled in that relegation battle, actually, when you look at the underlying data, they were projecting as a, a poor relegation-style team. Then you look at the transfer business itself. And in terms of players leaving, in Ruben Neves, you know, there are a lot of players we're going to be talking about who've left clubs in this area between kind of 20th and 15th, 14th. But I think in Ruben Neves, you can forget that this is a guy who, in the last couple of seasons, has been linked to Manchester United. He's been linked to Barcelona. He's ended up going to Saudi Arabia. In my mind, it's almost one of the most depressing moves to Saudi Arabia, where it's a guy that would not walk into any midfield in the world, but he would be an asset to any club in European football. And he's decided to, to take that move. And his loss in midfield, I think, for Wolves will be massive. Also, you've got to think there's Ramatinho, who used to be so important. We've seen him become less and less important, but he's another year older again. And when you look at the transfers that have come in, it's really hard to get particularly excited about any of them. You know, Cunha came in on loan last season, didn't provide the goals that we, you know, we, we knew that they needed. And there's very little else coming in. And that clear to see that the reasons why Lopetegui is unhappy at the club is because he feels like promises that were made to him, assurances that were made to him when he first came through the door haven't been kept up. And Gary O'Neill, a manager who did an incredible job to keep Bournemouth up last season, mm. big red flags in the underlying numbers there, all campaign, you know, even though he did incredibly to get them over the line, actually, again, their, their XG data wasn't particularly good and it's a huge job for him. You know, you've got a guy who was hired as a Spain manager a few years ago being replaced by Gary O'Neill who kind of fell into a Premier League job. So I find it very hard to see why there won't be a, a big drop-off from Wolves this season. And if that does happen, then that's going to mean they're in the relegation places. So Wolves we have down in 19th. Mm -hmm. Luton fans getting very excited at the moment, Ali. Who do we have in 18th? Not Luton. No. Yeah, we've got Everton in 18th. And I think the first thing to say isn't specific to Everton Football Club, but we've been doing predictions like this for some time. One of the things that's really important is... While there are lots of pre preconceived notions uh, that we all have, bias or, or you know, um, perceived truths about football, uh, they can be really damaging when it comes to uh, predictions because they can make you think a certain kind of way. Everton have never been uh, relegated rather from the Premier League, so there may be some people watching, plenty of people out there who think that they are, for whatever reason, too established a Premier League club, too big a club to be relegated. But clearly that's not true. We've seen it in the last few years. Leicester and Leeds went down from the Premier League last year. Uh, in the last five to ten years, Aston Villa have been relegated, having never gone down before. Sunderland as well, Newcastle twice. There is no like divine right to be in the Premier League, even if you've been in it for it since its inception. So that's the first thing to say. Everton, for me, have been circling the drain of relegation for a few years. And generally, I think the trend of clubs that do that, Aston Villa are a good example from six, seven years ago, generally they do go down unless something fairly major happens. And I'm looking at the summer and I'm desperately asking, what are they doing here to really change the the, the pathway of the football Do you think they kind of feel like there's some complacency, like we brought in Dyche, that should be enough, we're not really doing much else? That's there. exactly the sense that I get, yeah. that it's all on Sean Dyche. And a man who I have great respect for, he did an incredible job for a long period of time at Burnley, but a club in Everton that I believe has an entirely different personality and entirely different context to Burnley Football Club um, that doesn't necessarily have the squad that Dyche built like he did at Burnley, took them up and was able to carry them on. And uh, a club that I think can very quickly descend into panic and urgency, which is something that's always going to undermine you know, the work of a manager early on in the season. So I'm really, really concerned about what I'm seeing. They were terrible going forward last season. The set-piece threat, as you'd imagine, improved somewhat under Dyche. The overall numbers and even the points returns didn't improve that much under Dyche. I didn't suddenly see them being a, a mm. particularly impressive Premier League team. Um, you're relying still on Calvert-Lewin to stay fit and score your goals. He may do that. He may not do that. He certainly didn't last season. Uh, Neil Mopai maybe doesn't scream Sean Dyche, goal-scoring striker to me. I, I like the midfield that they have, Ducore and Onana. I think they can make 
Everton very competitive in certain games. But uh, overall, I'm really concerned about the club's situation. I think their overspending for a long period of time has hamstrung what they are able to do in the transfer market. We've seen that where at, on the eve of the season, one signing, 38-year-old Ashley Young on a free transfer. Player I've got a lot of respect for, but not someone I see changing the, the immediate you know, trajectory of this football club. So um, circling the drain for a while, and, and I think this could be the year where, where finally they drop out and you know, get a bit of a slap in the face. Get a slap in the face. Yeah, that would be a pretty big slap in the face, getting relegated <laughs> yeah. for, for the first time in your history. It definitely would be. I mean, I'm going to go through some odds now that we've gone through our relegated three. Sheffield United, as I say, are four to six relegation. Uh, that's best price with Paddy's, uh, Betfair Sportsbook, Betvictor, and a couple of others as well. Everton, pretty much three to one across the board. Um, Wolver Wolverhampton, so it's here, Wolves. Uh, I think we can call them a bit of a Ted Lasso moment there. Um, I think if you're relegating them, it's right to be formal. <laughs> yeah, Wolverhampton, the Wolverhampton Wanderers. Wolves is yeah. what Ted Lasso calls them. Uh, three to one they are. Um, that is with Unibet and Bet UK, uh, Quinbet Midnight, and a couple more too. Uh, if you agree with us, just one side will go down uh, from those promoted teams last season. Eleven to eight is the price for that. Two is this ten to eleven, and this favourite. You find all these markets on the Odds Checker um, website and on the app as well. Sheffield United are seven to two best price to finish bottom. Uh, that's with Bet Victor and Bet Fred. Interestingly. Wolves 14 to 1, uh, Everton 16 to 1. So, like a bigger price fancy, that could be the way to go. There's also a Premier League treble uh, market as well, but I just do not have the time whilst we're recording this live to find those three teams. But I'm sure it'll be a big, big price. Uh, so, make sure you do check that out. Now, it is time, I'm afraid, uh, Luton fans, uh, time to take the champagne off ice. And just, I thought yeah. we had Luton top six. No, we didn't. I, I moved yours, uh, your table around. Uh, Luton, we've got in 17th. And yeah, I guess. I mean, I'll, I'll say a bit and then I'll throw over to you because we both feel quite strongly about this. Um, and accusations of EFL bias will be thrown at us and, and understandably so. But uh, I think with Luton, you've got a team, firstly, who have shown that they were a very, very good championship team, not just last season, but over two consecutive campaigns, over two consecutive managers. And that is important to me because... Over the last few years, having there been a lot of bouncing between leagues, when you look, look at the last two or three seasons, quite often teams who come up from the Championship into the Premier League and have some degree of continuity end up doing okay. And Luton were completely justified in finishing third last season. There was no fluke about this. They were playoff uh, semi-finalists the, the year before. And they beat two very fancy sides in, in Middlesbrough and, um, sorry, in uh, Sunderland and uh, Coventry in the playoffs. And under Rob Edwards, they've got a manager who has already won a league in League Two. He got the big step up to, to Watford that didn't work out, was sat when they were fourth, ended up finishing mid-table. And coming in at Luton, he's managed to continue the great work that Nathan Jones did and take them to the Premier League. Like there, there's, there seems to be this perception that because Luton are a small team and because they have a small budget, they're therefore going to be the worst team. And I just don't see any evidence of that whatsoever. When you compare their recruitment as well with Sheffield United, you know, Sheffield United bring in untested younger players that don't really bulk out the squad. Luton already had a fairly stacked squad and have brought in some quality from EFL level, which again, we know good championship talent generally translates into good Premier League talent, at least at that level anyway. So I think there's a massive amount of complacency going on with Luton. I don't really understand why they would be perceived to be so much worse than ever the other people, people talking about mm. uh, Derby uh, points tallies. One of those people is in this room behind the camera, which uh, is, is in itself not a great um, yeah, prediction in my eyes. So I, you know, I, I'm by no means sitting here saying they won't go down. I'm by no means sitting here saying I, I fancy them to go and you know, do a Sheffield United and finish yeah. kind of mid-table in their first season. But do not, you know, don't sleep on Luton because they're going to make life very difficult because there is also room for a team to play in their very direct and physical way. That's it. I, it's not any EFL bias. We just put Sheffield United at the bottom, automatically promoted from the championship. Yes. If anything, I think those being very strongly negative on Luton are probably just being quite lazy and looking at names on a sheet of paper, not recognising those names necessarily because mm. they don't follow any league other than the Premier League, deciding therefore that they're not good enough as individuals or as a team unit. And that's not how football works. The best squads on paper don't always win the league and the worst squads on paper don't always finish in the bottom three. Um, Sheffield United came up under Chris Wilder and finished in the top half with a group of players like Fleck, and, uh, and Chris Basham, uh, the same team were relegated the next season. So were those players really good? They finished in the top half of the Premier League. Were they really bad? They finished in the relegation places. Leeds United came up under Marcel Bielsa with Luke Ayling and Stuart Dallas and Patrick Bamford 
and they finished in the top half. And then a few seasons later, a team with Luke Ayling and Stuart Dallas and Patrick Bamford have been relegated from the Premier League. So any reason to think like that, I think is basically laziness because mm. you, you don't want to commit any more time to thinking more deeply about what makes a successful team. Teams that come up from the Championship, in general, that have quite an unusual or a, or a sort of somewhat extreme style of play and, and, and do it very, very well, which is what Luton do, tend to do fairly well in the Premier League. So I think that alone, plus everything that you've talked about, makes us pretty positive for Luton. They absolutely know themselves. None of the uncertainty behind the scenes that Sheffield United have had. None of the departures of key players that Sheffield United have had. Just clear-minded uh, recruitment, uh, a club that is, is you know, absolutely understanding of its place uh, in the pyramid, excited to be in the Premier League, and I think can attack it in, in pretty good shape, unlike the teams that we have below them. I also like that Luton, because of the, the way that they play, if you think that the pool of players that play in the systems that generally top-tier teams like to play now is, is fairly small, so you often see teams basically all going after the same player. You know, the majority of players that Luton sign are not of any interest to any other Premier League teams uh -huh. because they don't suit the style of play, which means that they get to get their business done early and get the players they want in. Come on, Hatters. Right, in, in 16th now, from the Hatters to a European champion mm. in the Hammers. Congratulations to West Ham, Europa, Europa Conference League winners 2023, and fully deserved of it. What a fantastic team they were on the continent last year. Not a great team in the Premier League, mm. uh, very much needed uh, a, a pretty vast improvement in the last few months of the season. Uh, I think you know the, the reports of their demise early last season were a little exaggerated because they were getting used to fighting on, on both fronts. Um, and, and while they improved a little bit, I'm sitting here very, very concerned for one in particular, or rather two big reasons. Firstly is uh, that all reports coming out of the club, or from those who know the club, are that David Moyes, the manager, and the new sporting director are really not in alignment or agreement on how the club should move forward with the vast sum of money that they received from Declan Rice's departure to Arsenal. They've also brought in some money from Gianluca Scamacca. They're the only team in the Premier League that haven't signed anyone with just a couple of days before the season starts. Uh, I think, try and put aside the fact that they won the Conference League last year, because I don't think that has a huge amount of relevance on how they might do in the Premier League this year, particularly when they've lost a player in Declan Rice, who now plays for one of the best teams in the world, is an England international, and who, we should, at this point, if we didn't already, consider to be one of the best players in his position on the planet. So what happens when a team that still struggled in the Premier League last year had one of the best midfielders on the planet in their team as their main leader? What mm. happens when that player leaves? The way that I see football is that is a massive hole to fill in a key area of the pitch. And both in terms of physicality, technical skill and leadership ability, I don't see how they can, even, even if they try their best in recruitment, make that up in the aggregate with Declan Rice. So a huge hole in their team. Also concerns about the top end of the pitch. They've struggled for a striker for the last couple of years. Jared Bowen does offer goals from wide areas. Lucas Pakatar's a nice player. We don't have them going down, but I think there's absolutely cause for some concern compared to last season, which ended on such a high for West Ham. We don't think the same will go on uh, this year. Yeah, so uh, West Ham are, they are the biggest price odds-on team to finish in the, if that makes sense, in the uh, bottom half this season, three to four. So any kind of odds on backers, or if you want something for your Acker, that could be a way, a way to play this. Three to four, that's a live score bet. They're kind of four to six uh, with three, six, five and a couple of others. Uh, and also Luton, I should say, nine to four to stay up. So if we are right, you know, it's not a massive price, nine to four. It's not like we're giving up a 50 to one shot uh, yet. Um, next up in 15th, we've got Crystal Palace. And it's, I find it really difficult to work out what I think of Palace this season because they were desperate. Uh, for a lot of the campaign last season under Patrick Vieira. Again, the underlying numbers weren't necessarily as bad as the, as the um, results were. But then you've got Roy Hodgson coming in, a man who was sacked just 18 months before for being too negative, for not being the kind of profile of manager they wanted. And Roy, in his mid-70s, came in and breathed life into Crystal Palace Football Club. And they played the most vibes football we'd seen Palace play <laughs> with these incredible players. And I, I just have to forget that. Yeah. I just have to put it out of my mind because a leopard surely cannot change its spots, let alone when it's only 75. And I just feel like as the season goes on and after this uh, summer where it took a long time for Hodgson to actually be appointed, I just wonder if we're going to see that similar expansive style of football again. Um, and if it doesn't happen, if it doesn't work, then we already know that there's a precedent for, for Hodgson being shown the door if, if they're not particularly happy. 
of course, the, you know, we've spoken about Ruben Neves, you've spoken about Declan Rice, it's now time to talk about Wilfred Zaha, another player who has been just totally transformative as a footballer for Crystal Palace. I think without him, they would never have had the, the, the kind of seasons they've had in recent times, which haven't even been that particularly impressive, but they managed to keep them, themselves away from, from the championship. He's moved on. It also feels really likely to me that Michael Elise will leave between now and, and uh, the end of the month. There's no inside knowledge there. It just seems like when you're being linked to both Manchester City and Chelsea, two teams who in recent times are pretty good at getting deals over the line, um, and with the price tag being touted at kind of 30, 35 million, of co- obviously um, City having lost Mares, Chelsea looking to basically buy all the best young talent in world football. If Elise doesn't move on as well, suddenly you're looking at a squad that felt really fun 12 months ago and just looks a little bit short of quality. Eze is one of our favourite players. I think when he's fit, you know, he will still be an absolute star for Palace. But when you look beyond Eze, I struggle to really see where the goals come from. You know, Mateta hasn't really done it. Um, also, you know, Edouard hasn't managed to replicate his form in the Scottish Premiership for Palace either. And yeah, you mean I, Edwards found it harder to score goals for Palace in the Prem than he did for Celtic in the uh, in the Scottish Premiership. I think if you Shock. are a footballer, a striker, then you should take a move to Celtic or, Rangers, or or Rangers, score a lot of goals, and then take your move and then just get as long a contract as you can possibly get. <laughs> I think is the way to go about things. Um, yeah, so it, I just find it hard, and, and this is where we're kind of getting into you know the bottom end of the table. You're generally talking about teams that fans are fairly negative about but we're now kind of getting into the area of the table where most of the p- clubs we talk about their fans are probably hopeful of you know we can get into the top half this season I just at this stage and I know that there'll obviously be massive optimism after what Roy had, Roy did at the back of last season but I struggle to get overly excited I, I'm very excited to see Mateus Franca who, who comes in from, from Flamenco uh, a 19 year old attacking midfielder striker who could be absolutely anything yeah. but again you can't pin your hopes on that no. for, for this season coming up um, so we've got Palace there in 15th yeah. um, 14th now Nottingham Forest yeah I think we're a bit higher on Forest than you know their general placement at, you know sort of in terms of the, where the bookies would rate them uh, for me Forest were a lot of things last season from the moment they won promotion to the Premier League and I think that there's an extent to which them staying up was uh, Fortunate. I mean, certainly for the people running the club, who I don't, I do not think took the right approach to promotion. I think they have a lot to thank their manager Steve Cooper for for being that solid hand at the wheel, basically, and getting them through what was a pretty difficult start, quite a few difficult periods in that season. You know, what I would credit those that run the club for is is keeping Cooper on and not feeling like they might try and get in a slightly sexier name. I rate him really, really highly. I realise he's only managed one season in the Premier League, but I think he himself performed very impressively, taking what was a pretty bizarrely bloated squad with a ton of new players, not recruited necessarily with a lot of balance in mind. And by the end of the season, eventually, I think he'd built a team that made sense on paper, that certainly made sense on the pitch, that understood their roles, played very with a, with a clear mentality and a clear structure, and started to pick up points and stayed up as a result. So for me, it's kind of trusting in Cooper to have, you know, bear in mind they haven't had a summer like they had last year where they've added tons and tons of players. Uh, It's just Anthony Alanga from Manchester United, who I think should bolster their attacking options. They've got a lot of threats uh, on that front. Morgan Gibbs-White, I think, should kick on again. And I'm no doubt that by the end of this season, he will be in an England squad at some point because I think he's that good. If Johnson stays, that's a boost. If Awani, you know, comes good again or, or sort of is better for last season's first season at this level, personally, I think there's a lot to like and, and I really trust in Cooper to have them kick off this season in much better shape than they started last season because of what they were like at the end of the last campaign. So Forrest comfortably staying up for me. Forrest comfortably, comfortably staying up. And we've also got, and just and, and price-wise for there, you've got um, yeah, Forrest are one to three. So, the, you know, the bookies do agree with you at this stage in terms of that, but they are one of the favourites for relegation. Um, Fulham, we've got in, in 13th, who had a brilliant campaign last season under Marco Silva, who continues to do a great job there. Again, I, I kind of feel like this one could could change quite quickly in the next couple of weeks when things become clearer. We know that Marco Silva has turned down a move to Saudi Arabia. You know that Williams signed a new contract when he also had the offer. It seems likely, I guess, that Mitrovic is going to move on, uh, but at the time of recording, he is still a Fulham player. 
Uh, and for those reasons, you know, it's hard to be particularly negative around them. Um, when you look at the, the players that they brought in as well, um, Bassi's an exciting signing who's come in from, from Ajax. Raul Jimenez, if he can get fit again, could be a good understudy for Micho. I'm sure he'll step up into his place if not. There's just continuity, I guess, is the, is the important thing here. This is a side, you know, we spoke earlier, teams coming up from the championship at the moment tend to be doing okay with, with continuity on their side. And that is the case with Fulham. You know, they went up, they kept their key personnel in. They'd had a very good season last season. There are uh, concerns, again, around the, you know, the data side of things. Apologies to those who don't care about this, but their underlying numbers last season were much worse than their actual performances. Um, but it, it, it still feels to me like there are bigger holes to pick in other teams. And you know, keeping Silver's massive, keeping Mitro's... Quality manager. Quality manager, yeah. Hugely overrated for so long. I'm delighted that... Underrated. Huge underrated. Yeah, you said overrated. He was, he was, he was overrated <laughs> for a week. Um, <laughs> but he, he's someone who you know, was ridiculously you know, targeted, as people saying he took Hull down when he came in and did an incredible job there. It's often forgotten the, the job he was doing at Watford when he got the move to Everton. Um, you know, things really unraveled there before he took the Everton job. And again, Everton, you know, he was sacked at Everton when they were mid-table, which well, I think they were actually eighth or ninth. Yep. When you look back now, it doesn't seem too bad. And he's showing now at, at Fulham the job he can do. You know, Fulham fans just have to hope he doesn't cash in at some point, uh, like others have done, where there's been um, interest from, from over the other side of, of the world in, in Saudi. So, uh, yeah, it's, I'd be very surprised if we're looking at Fulham um, being one of those teams like a Brentford or a Brighton who could push higher. But, but for now with the continuity of personnel, I think we can, we can be pretty sure they should be okay, although I, I have seen quite a few people have them a fair bit lower. Mm. Uh, a really exciting one now, in 12th, uh, we've got Bournemouth, and I think if I'd done a 1-24, to 24, half, or sorry, 1-20, to 20, ha half an hour after the um, Premier League season had finished, I probably would have had Bournemouth 20th, maybe mm -hmm. 19th, mm -hmm. in the bottom three. What has changed? Yeah, high on excitement. I'd say low uncertainty. I'm going to be honest, I think Bournemouth are the team with the highest range of potential finishes here. Uh, Andoni Iraola is basically the reason for the excitement and for the uncertainty. Uh, he is a young manager uh, who had a fantastic playing career with Athletic Club and who, as a manager with Mirandes and then with Rayo Vallecano, has been considered one of Spain's best, if not Spain's best young manager, uh, is known to be incredible tactician, uh, and his way of getting messages through to his players and for them implementing what he wants them to do on the pitch has been sensational. Um, his teams have always pressed incredibly high and been unbelievably intense and aggressive out of possession. They've generally had amazing home records considering the size of the clubs that he's um, managed and they've generally like really bloodied the nose of the big boys. They've picked up great results against Barcelona, against Real Madrid and, and Iriola and his quality as a manager has basically been pinned on the success of the clubs that he's been at. So of course there's excitement as he comes to Bournemouth, but there has to be some uncertainty as to how, you know, to what extent that certain style of play will um, translate to the Premier League, how well he can get his, his messages across in a different country, in a different language for the most part. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. I choose to be an Iriola believer. I think that Bournemouth will, will be much better for his management. And I think that the squad, a lot of the players can come on again from a positive season last season. Players like Solanke and Billing and Tavernier, I think, all had really good seasons. Uh, they've made some interesting signings as well. You know, Kerkez is 19, Roman Fevre, Justin Kleiber, both 24, Hamed Jr. Traore, 23. So they are quite clearly going for speed, legs, technical ability, and it could be amazing. But there's that thing in the back of your mind. It could be too much too soon. It could be a disaster for a club of Bournemouth's size at this level. We don't know. But I'm choosing to be a believer. I'm going Bournemouth uh, doing pretty well here and being quite exciting to watch 12th for us. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see basically them in action for the first time. I always think when you hear of a, a new manager you know little about, but you hear the playing style is really aggressive, yeah. like high pressing. It's always fun to see how it translates into Premier League football and if he can get that message across early on. Uh, excited to see how Bournemouth get on. Um, just outside the top half is Burnley, who ran away with the Championship last season under Vincent Kompany. Um, I am just really excited to see how Burnley do this coming season. They were the class team by absolutely miles last season. Um, it, it wasn't a vintage renewal, we have to say, but we've seen plenty of quality teams come up from the 
a championship in recent seasons. You know, you mentioned Leeds earlier on the BLS for that brilliant first season. Wilder, Sheffield United had that brilliant first mm-hmm. season. Fulham, of course, who came up and had done brilliantly last season. Uh, Brentford, of course, came up just 13th in their first season. So these teams who do, you know, come up and, and can perform well, I think Burnley will be the next in line for, for those. In Vincent Company, they've got a manager who I am pretty sure if things go the way that everyone expects them to go, if Company continues to improve and, and it does okay with Burnley. And Pep Guardiola does decide in a couple of years' time that maybe he's had enough of the Premier League, that Company will move into to his chair. I don't see why not. The football's brilliant. The recruitment since he's been there, I don't think we can credit that necessarily just with him, but he obviously is able to be part of a recruitment team that recruits effectively both domestically and from abroad, and that is something we don't necessarily normally see. Um, you look at last season, how Nathan Teller was such an important player for them on loan from Southampton, how they brought in uh, Taylor Harwood-Bellis from, from City on loan as well, two really good loanees, homegrown, Ian Matson as well. But then you look to the players they brought in from the continent, um, whether it's Manuel Benson or Anna Saruri, um, even Josh Cullen, who came in from Anderlecht, where he played with company. Brilliant players. And they've done the same again this summer with James Trafford, the keeper who everyone can't believe was bought for 18 million after only playing in League One. Well, you're going to believe it pretty soon because he's a very, very good goalkeeper um, and will be there between the sticks for them. Um, they've got Dara O'Shea, who is a, a fantastic centre-back from, from West Brom, who really suit the way that they like to play at 24-2. An exciting signing. They've got Jordan Bayer back, who was on loan with them last season from Bruce Lynch and Gladbach. He's joined on a permanent and sometimes clubs recruit so well that you just have complete faith in what they're doing. And so I'm just going to assume that Zeki Amdouni's a genius, um, who's, the, <laughs> who's the, the striker they brought in from, from Basel in Switzerland. Like, this is, you know, I, I was concerned when they first came up that maybe company, and we saw it happen against City in the Cup last season, the FA Cup, would just continue to play the way that he wanted to play and not really compensate for the quality of the teams against them. But I think given they've added quality, and they'll continue to do so. I'm, I, I think they are going to... I'm sure they'll get beat a, a bit. I mean, defensively, they were good last season, but because they're expansive, they'll get beat a bit. But I'm sure they're going to blitz some teams. But it's interesting that, just very quickly, I, I genuinely don't see that as a concern. Like, I think that it's right for Burnley, let's say for Bournemouth, if they're going to be quite ambitious with their tactics. I think it's right for them to play that kind of way against the big six clubs. Those aren't the games that matter for Burnley and mm. Bournemouth. They are going to pick up their points and their league position will be defined by how they do against basically all the teams that we've talked about so far in that kind of 13-12 team mini league, right? And so for me, having the belief in your system to go up against the big teams and just go and, and basically be yourself rather than change every other week against a big opponent to try and nick a point. I think that benefits you in those other games because you can be so much surer of yourself and things will be clearly a lot easier. So, yeah, it, it's such an interesting thing when we talk about teams coming up in terms of style of play. But I see Burnley's style of play as being a massive positive rather than something that needs to be concerning or something that needs to be changed just because they're playing at a higher level. Absolutely. Um up to the top half now uh, and Brentford we've got in 10th they're 9-4 to four to finish in the top half wow okay mm. well ninth last season so um, you know this is a, a drop of one place but I think you know some of the teams that finished obviously outside of the, of the top half Chelsea in particular there's an expectation they will get stronger so I don't necessarily see this as a, as a negative prediction for, for Brentford even though it is a drop from last season they picked up 59 points with a plus 12 goal difference like these are signs of of quality of a quality Premier League team. I think that's how we should think of Brentford now, even if they've only been in the division for a few seasons, even if historically they've been a smaller club than a lot of the clubs established in this division. Um, year on year improvement has been pretty clear now for upwards of a decade. And I think that's the sort of thing that you can kind of hang your hat on. Mm. A lot of the teams we've talked about near the bottom of the league are the sort of teams that we don't think are steady. Uh, we don't think have particularly high quality or joined up thinking at the top of the club and are not necessarily ones that are going to keep a, an even keel if things start going wrong at the start of the season. Brentford are going to be without Ivan Tony, their best attacking player, for a number of months. That's obviously a big red flag, and I do think it'll have an effect on them. But I also think we can just believe in them having a pretty strong plan. I don't imagine that they're just going to wander into this season and go like, oh no, we haven't got Tony. <laughs> what the hell? What are we going to do? So even if it doesn't look like they've signed an obvious replacement, I think either they probably have one lined up that they'll get done or they will have a way of playing that will get the best out of the players that they have at their disposal. So, um, you know, they were seventh for non-penalty goal, expected goals ratio last season in the Premier League. Again, a sign of a team that on balance of play, on average, 
we're stronger than their opponent and that's what we're looking for here a team with a plan a, a team with year-on-year -year improvement Brentford finishing in the top half at what seemed to me like a, a pretty juicy price yeah nine to four as I say Brentford to finish in the top half um, next we've got Aston Villa who I know there's a lot of pre-season optimism amongst their fans amongst neutrals as well we've got them in ninth and I don't think that's necessarily a, a negative prediction even though I'm sure it will be seen by that as by some Villa fans Unai Emery came in last season and clearly did an incredible job uh, to take them from the fringes of, of relegation up into the European places. That's part of it. They're going to have a European campaign this season. With some teams, you'd wonder, maybe they'll rotate. With Unai Emery, we know that he's going to prioritise those cup competitions. And that's the other thing. Emery is clearly a very, very capable manager and a very good manager and somebody who will take Villa upwards uh, in their kind of traje trajectory. However, his record generally in his career with clubs of, of similar size to Villa is massive achievement in cup competitions not particularly high achieving in yeah. within domestic leagues and i kind of think this will will, will happen again there i like, can't wait to see what price they are for the conference league yeah, like sure. what do you do as a, as a bookmaker here yeah. you've got unai emery the greatest winner in not in minor european competition of all time uh, a, a team in villa who come from the division got a price where the winners came from last year in west ham who were probably not as strong a team as Villa overall. I mean, how do you even approach that? So I can tell you that only one firm are out with prices. Uh, Star Sports came out on the 24th of, this all on the odds checker grid, 24th of July at 11 to 2, 5 to 1, 4 to 1, 7 to 2, 130. There so we've missed out. 130 <laughs> price uh, is the price now. But yeah, I mean, they've brought in Paul Torres, who clearly is a ball playing centre back. It is, is incredibly impressive, and it's a sign of how far Villa have come. They can go out and, and sign a guy who. Um, you know, he played in the World Cup for, for Spain just a few months ago. Um, I also know that um, fans are very excited to see Moussa Diaby, who is kind of the next in line of this conveyor belt of exciting uh, wide players that Villa signed from Europe. You know, it was Leon Bailey last summer. Um, Diaby does feel like another step up and somebody who really should be able to impact uh, games in the Premier League. Yuri Tielemans is another one where if he can regain his form, from previously, then he should be fine. They've got a big squad, so they should be able to rotate. Ollie Watkins is a striker. I think we'll have a massive season. You know, it's hard to pick holes in them, but I do think with the cup competitions they're going to have and the fact that there are a few teams that we're going to talk about shortly who either there's reason to believe they will improve or are so rock solid. I personally don't see Villa finishing kind of upwards of, of ninth at this stage, but that's not to say they won't have a great season. It's not to say that I don't rate Emery as well. Um, in eighth, any more caveats? Uh, I just don't want to upset anyone. <laughs> is my thing. Um, so no, I don't. Um, I have to do edge of the box with Dan Bardella every week, so I don't want him to get upset. Uh, in eighth, Ange Postecoglou's Spurs. Mm, yeah, I, I'm finding this pretty difficult. There are some things that I'm broadly positive positive just about. Quickly on the way here, yeah. it seemed like there's a chance that Kane may go. Since we've been sitting here, the talk is now that Kane is kind of leaning towards staying, right? It's a live situation mm. with Harry Kane. And like, quite frankly, I'll be honest, the difference in predicting Tottenham with Harry Kane, if you knew he was going to be there for the whole season, versus if you knew he wasn't going to be there at all, is massive. I mean, possibly one of the players that has the most obvious value to the club that they're currently at and whose departure or presence has the biggest impact. You know, the sort of MVP type stuff. Like genuinely, with Kane... With Postacoglu, who I broadly think will be a positive manager for Tottenham in the long term, could have a similar impact to Maurizio Pochettino when he came into Tottenham a few years ago. I do believe in Postacoglu, while also worrying that in the short term there could be some real teething issues. If we are to believe what we've heard about him in terms of tactics, in terms of how he's going to go about um, you know, rebuilding this football team, well, with the squad that he has available, I, I don't see an obvious... Um, sort of connection there, particularly in, in terms of the defenders that they have and some of the deep midfielders. If there's going to be a big onus on, on you know, build up right in their own defensive third in order to, to release an attack quicker, um, having sucked teams onto them, I think there could be some real issues playing out from the back. Um, and I'm a bit worried that the fans might struggle to buy into what Postacoglu is going to want to do. So uh, real uncertainty for me. I mean, they were eighth last year. We're predicting eighth here again. Um, they don't have any European football, which is a positive for them. Gives Postacoglu a bit more time on the training pitch than some of his, um, you know, some of his peers at the mm. level. Um, but right now, just very, very difficult to know with with or without Kane exactly what we can expect from Spurs because Son dropped off massively last season, and we hope he gets back to his previous level. But I, I don't know if we can. 
truly believe it. Richarlison and Kulishevsky are good players. I feel like they could be a part of a good team, but are they the ones to raise the ceiling of a team? Again, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. So uh, a lot of uncertainty, and uh, hopefully the, the teams we have above them will, will show why we, we've got them staying in eighth. Who have we got above them? We've got Brighton uh, above them, uh, who are an incredible football club um, in, in so many ways. You know, Copy and paste a lot of the things I said about Brentford in terms of year-on-year -year improvement, in terms of some of the highest quality decision-makers that a, a football club in the world has. Um, with you know a, a group of people from top to bottom that seem to be two or three steps ahead of everyone else and not that many clubs seem to have that so um you know i can't remember exactly where they finished last season but i know they made the the europa league so probably sixth this is probably a drop of a place or, or maybe staying in the same zone roberto de zerbi came in after potter left and their improvement was incredible um after new year they had the third best non-penalty xg ratio in the whole division again just a a measure of 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 sort of average dominance over their opponent. They, they were one of the best teams in the division mm. uh, from that point, which speaks to the quality that De Zerbi has. He didn't have a preseason last year, so with a tactician and a coach like that, we can probably expect him to be implementing even more good ideas this summer. He did have the World Cup break, and, and straight after that, they, they looked a different team. So I don't worry with them too much about losing players. If it's Caicedo, if it's Mitoma, I sort of see them a bit like, an animal where you chop one head off and they grow two more. Like we've seen it time and time again over the last few years. João Pedro, probably the breakout star of the Premier League, would be my prediction. I think he's going to be absolutely sensational, yes. and I can't wait to see him play for a team that has a really good plan for him. So uh, very positive about Brighton, even with the the added difficulty of, of European football for the first time, I think in their history, um, we still think they'll go well. In sixth, we've got Newcastle. Um, and this is, in my mind, probably the hardest team to predict in this kind of top group where there's no reason in my mind why Newcastle can't challenge for the title. In that you look at what they did last season and the improvement year on year, and you also consider that they had basically the best XG ratio in the whole division from kind of middle of September onwards. It wasn't a fluke. Like their, their, the level of dominance of them in games against your position was enough to, to warrant their position in the league. And when you consider the players they brought in, you know, I know that Tonali is a player that there were some eyebrows raised about his, his transfer fee, but he certainly elevates what was already a brilliant midfield with Bruno Gamaric in there. Uh, Harvey Barnes is a player who's incredibly direct and, and will add something in the final third. Isak is a player that I love, who was injured for a big chunk of last season. I think him having a full preseason and being fit to lead the line will improve them too. So Newcastle fans are like, well, you're saying all these nice stuff about us. Why have you got us in sixth? <laughs> uh, and a big reason for that is that I'm a big believer, and this will come on to why we've got Chelsea in fifth. I'm a massive believer that, that when a team doesn't have European football, it's just a huge advantage, like a massive advantage. We saw Chelsea fall out of Europe. Antonio Conte came in and took them to the Premier League. Right. We saw you know, the big moment, in my mind, the thing that really changed Arteta's time at Arsenal was, again, that season without European football where Arsenal looked like they were going to get into the Champions League, fell away late on, but kind of the whole place changed and people yeah. started believing in Arteta again and the whole project. So Newcastle not only going from last season having that benefit to this season suddenly having Champions League football. So it's not even Europe, Europa League where you play on Thursdays. It's proper, has to be your first team. Has, it's going to be Tuesday, Wednesday. I think it's going to be difficult for them to, to deal with that. And I'm not convinced at this stage they've got the strength and depth needed to rotate as heavily as they'd need to. So, you know this might end up looking stupid. They might be able to deal with it easily and, and spend a lot more money between now and the end of August. But I think if we're going to be on, and the teams around Newcastle, I think have also um, improved uh, where last season, given what happened at Spurs, at Chelsea, at Liverpool, it was ripe for teams like Newcastle, Brighton, Villa to push them themselves into those positions. I don't know if we'll see that again. So Newcastle are in sixth and in Chelsea in fifth, that European football uh, line is a big reason why I think mm. that night, you know, they, finished on 44 points last season. It was a horrendous performance by all accounts. And I know that some people look at Todd Bowley and think, well, Chelsea won't be good whilst Todd Bowley is there based on last season. I completely disagree. I think the transfer strategy is clearly risky in the short term, but it feels to me like they're basically building a squad full of, of wonder kids where even the success rate doesn't have to be that high for it to be an incredibly exciting future for Chelsea. It feels like there are qualified people making the transfer decision, Correct. which wasn't the case necessarily last year. A hundred percent. And, and you know, it's important to know not, a lot, not all of these guys are going to be thrown straight into the first team. Yes, you want experience running through the side. Um, you know, I, Enzo Fernandez being the, the, the senior central midfielder at 23 raises eyebrows, but he's also a player who's won the World Cup six months ago and has been given a fair bit of responsibility in the Argentina team. Um, 
He's got good eyebrows as well. And he's just very I, well I kept. Love watching him play football so much. <laughs> but it's um, you know they do need. I guess, some balance in that squad. Uh, the Nkunku news uh, that he had surgery uh, this week is obviously devastating for Chelsea fans. I think he was one of the... I didn't really understand why people weren't getting more excited about his signing, like an elite European talent who's proven on the highest stage coming to, to Chelsea. But he will be out for the foreseeable future. I think it's four months or so. Uh, and in Nicholas Jackson, they've got a player who's looked dynamite in pre-season, but I always think with pre-season, let's actually see it happen in the Premier League before we make any big judgments. But Poch is a big thing where... The Tuchel, Potter, Lampard succession plan was just no plan at all. It didn't work. They've now got a manager in place who I just I think is a, a magnificent manager and is kind of perfectly suited to take a, a group of young players and, and nurture them and coax them into a very good football team. We saw him do it at Spurs to incredible effect. You know, you think that he took that Spurs team to the Champions League final, uh, an unbelievable effort. And you know, people say he'd never won anything with Spurs. Well, I think his achievements at Spurs trump a lot of, of, of the kind of victories and trophies we have seen won. So, yeah, I, it wouldn't surprise me if they started pretty slow, but I think as we get in further onto the season, as Poch can really develop this team and as the other teams around them are, are having to stay in Europe week in, week out, I think we'll see Chelsea continue to progress. And, yeah, I think fifth is optimistic, but I, I also could see them improving on that, uh, depending on how these players do settle. Top four now. Um who have you got in, in? Who have we got? I should say in fourth. Yeah, we've got Liverpool and Manchester United in third and fourth, respectively. I think the Liverpool versus Man United match bet is a fascinating one, to be honest with you. Um, we've got Liverpool, Liverpool just favourites. We've got Liverpool just above Manchester United, and you're going to tell me why in a second. Mm. I mean, I haven't got anything particularly negative to say about Manchester United. Um, I love the transfer business. I think. Overall, I see a club, and I'm, I'm touching wood as I say this because it would be great to see Manchester United you know, back towards the, the, the very top table of English football. I think I see a club that's on its way there now in terms of the trajectory uh, after what's been you know, such uncertainty and chaos at times behind the scenes. I think Ten Hag has been a, a really, really good appointment on that front just as the kind of leader of the football side. Um, I think he has very clear ideas of, of how to go about things, and I really believe that the second year of Ten Hag, Ten Hag 2.0 for United, will be stronger than Ten Hag year one. Um, I think that Onana coming in for De Gea was just a, a move that had to happen. Um, changing the, the glovesman for United is something that's been massively needed. And uh, I can't wait to see Onana in the Premier League because you know the stuff that he does on the ball is, is just fascinating, to be honest, and, and absolutely wild. And I think will be a massive, massive positive for them, De Gea with his feet, uh, simply not confident or technically good enough. Uh, then Mason Mount is a, is a player that... Again, like you get these narratives about players that, that come quite often, you know, change every month. And for Mount, the narrative became at Chelsea that he, that he wasn't quite good enough. I, I just couldn't disagree more. Chelsea were, were a basket case of a club for the last two years of Mount's time there. But previously, he'd won player of the season two years in a row, won the Champions League with Chelsea as one of their key players, winning the elite competition in European football. A player that every manager he's ever played under absolutely adores for what he does out of possession and seems to respect him a lot more than the average fan in terms of what he can do with the ball as well. I think it's going to be an amazing signing. You know, not 100% sure exactly where he will make his role on the pitch, but I think his versatility is something that um, managers rather love so much. And then Hoyland up top. I mean, clearly this is a, a massive outlay on a, on a player that doesn't have a, a ton of minutes uh, or a ton of you know senior goals behind him because he's so young. But do I trust in Manchester United scouting at this point? maybe more so than before. I don't think he needs to be Haaland and I don't think it would be fair to judge him as being necessary to compete with Haaland in terms of goal output. For me, just the very fact of having a striker, um, someone that you can really put a lot of development time into, someone that you can fix at the top of the pitch, allows Rashford to play off the left where he thrives, allows uh, not Valt Weghorst to be playing <laughs> minutes up top for you. Uh, I think that just has to be a positive for them as well. So yeah, I'm positive about United, but we haven't got them any higher than fourth. No. Why is that? Liverpool. I mean, United are four to five to finish in the top four, which seems a big price to me. That's with Coral and Labricks. I should also say that um, in the top six market, both Newcastle and Chelsea are eight to 15. So our positivity around Chelsea is reflected, but in the betting uh, odds too. Um, Liverpool. I mean, just chaos. They're going to win five, four <laughs> every game. It's exciting. Um, last season was obviously very poor. Um, and we've seen... 
it's happened before with Liverpool where they'll follow up a poor season with a, with a very strong season. And that could be the case here. Like this, it feels again as high variance because there was talk last season that, you know, was Jurgen Klopp's time at the club coming to an end? I do wonder if things don't start particularly well at Liverpool. Could that be the case? Could he possibly, um, his cycle be coming to a close? But with the attacking talent that they've added, you know, in terms of, of Schroberschlei, one of the most exciting young players um, in European football, just 22 years of age, but has shown at RB Leipzig that he can score ridiculous goals. One of those players who has a ball striking ability um, that, that most can only dream of. Alexis McAllister, who it's incredible to think he's only 24, given what he's achieved already. Uh, has been a, a magnificent player at Brighton over a couple of seasons. Can play a range of positions. Like, there aren't many players who can be as effective almost as a, a 6, an 8, and a 10. Um, but in McAllister, they've got someone who is who will help the possession-based style that Klopp likes to play, as well as being a, a very effective presser. Like, they've lost a lot of experience. Um, it's amazing that Fabinho went from basically being the most important player in their side to an extent in terms of being the the glue that held it all together right. to them being dispensable, and he's moved on to, to, to the Saudi Pro League. Uh, Jordan Henderson moves on as well, Roberto Firmino, James Milner, and these were players who were still contributing in a positive sense, I think, to, to what Liverpool were doing. Um, and, and that has to be a concern of sorts, but they do have just an incredible crop of young players. Like Curtis Jones, I know he's someone that you like a lot, having watched him in the, in the under-21 Euros, um, but he is a player that... I, I don't think necessarily the average fan has really appreciated how good he is yet, both in terms of uh, his ball-playing ability, his ability, his, uh, ability to play out of, of tight spaces in possession. Again, he's an absolute workaholic off the ball too. Harvey Elliott, I think, should have a great season. Disappointed to see Fabio Carvalho uh, be sent out on a loan, but you know, maybe that's going to be the best thing for his development at Leipzig. Uh, and then you think of the front line. Um, where it's easy to forget about Luis Diaz after his injury last season, but should be a massive player. Gakpo came in in January. I think Darwin Nunez could do what he did uh, previously and, and have an unbelievable season for goal scoring. You know, he gets into those areas so consistently, and we haven't even mentioned Mo Salah yet. So they're still stacked. They've still got an incredible squad, a couple of really fresh additions, and if they do add Romeo Lavia, they will have that player um, in the holding role who should be able to fill in for, for Fabinho for the foreseeable future. I feel like a stronger Liverpool, an improving Manchester United, and you're predicting something of a redemption for Chelsea after last year's debacle. Yeah. I mean, that's going to lead to a really exciting top of the division if we are correct with those predictions. But we've still got the it's same boring, top two, it? don't we? We did. We were like, should we just put Luton second, <laughs> just 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 for the views? Uh, we do have the same top two. Interestingly, Arsenal are so in terms of top two odds. United and Liverpool both nine to four. Arsenal best price two to one still to finish in the top two at Bet365. Okay. Now this time last year, it was almost unthinkable to predict that Arsenal would finish in the top two. Then in kind of February, it was almost unthinkable to say that Arsenal wouldn't win the league. <laughs> they finished second. Why do we think they're going to do it again? Well, I think part of this has to be to talk about the team that we have winning the title, Manchester City. We'll go into mm. a bit more depth in them, um, but I basically think City by the end of last season, had almost completed the game in the way that they had developed, particularly adding a physical dominance that they'd never really had before and an absolute intensity and quality out of possession that I don't think they'd ever quite achieved before. On top of everything else, they are, they are an incredibly complete team and I think the only real question mark about them at the moment has to be more questions of motivation and you know, do they need to turn over the squad a bit more in order to have hungrier players might they start slowly? And these are the sorts of questions that you ask about a team when you don't have many other holes to pick in them, um, quite frankly. When it comes to Arsenal, again, very positive about the work that they've done this summer. I think a lot of clubs seemingly much smarter with their recruitment now, and it's hard not to be excited about the, the players that Arsenal have added and, and the extra dimensions that those players will give them. I guess if there was a knock on Arsenal uh, at the end of last season, it was that probably by March, um, an incredibly effective way of playing and way of attacking in particular had probably reached something close to its sell by date in terms of what clubs, you know, how much they'd worked out ways to, to counteract how Arsenal attack. Um, they can do a bit more this season, particularly with the attacking options that they have and the different sorts of players that they have. Havertz in particular, a bit of a wild card because he is a quality operator and can operate in so many different roles. Uh, Declan Rice is the addition in midfield. Again, not a bad player. We're not 100% sure what uh, Arteta's plans are for him, but he's a player with such incredible skill set that you know you can make a case for him dominating games in, in pretty much any midfield role. So uh, a lot of excitement. 
I guess one of the drawbacks, George, would be the addition of, of Champions League football, as you've discussed. European football for you is, is kind of a, a big thing to bear in mind when you're doing 1-20s. to 20s. Now, I did say to you, hold on, they were in Europe last year. You made a fair point. They were in the Europa League last year, and they basically had a, a B team. A Europa, Europa League team. Not going to do that this year yeah, on saw, Tuesdays I, and I Wednesdays, are they? I saw that team be Oxford 3-0 yeah. at the Kassan Stadium last season. Yeah, they can't do that. They can't rotate between two sides again. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see that they're going to have two number ones uh, with David Raya seemingly yeah. leaning to Arsenal if that's the case and that it's at least one spot they can rotate pretty effectively um, but you know and you've got certain players like Fabio Vieira of course who's a year older who settled into start to, to life at Arsenal a bit more like could he be the kind of player I mean I don't think so no, this is what I I'm didn't saying. expect Fabio Vieira no, 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 to but, be brought up but, in this but discussion. this is my point is you look at the succession planning of teams who you'll anticipate like can players from that Europa League side make the transition into, into kind of first team rotation mm-hmm. my point is that the likes of Vieira probably not um, so yeah I I also generally find it difficult to take kind of one season that is such a massive outlier from what's happened before and think it's going to be replicated again but in Bukayo Saka I still think there is a player who at 21 years old has already proven himself to be not just one of the most exciting young players in the Premier League, but just one of the most exciting players in the Premier League, one of the best players in the Premier League. He's got 11 goals and 14 goals in his last two seasons. And I I just don't really see why it stops there, uh-huh. given the role that he's going to play, given that Arsenal do not have that out-and-out number nine who the whole team is geared around scoring goals. We saw Saka get a hat-trick for England earlier this summer. I just think when you look at the numbers that someone like Mo Salah posts from oh, that, I was about that to same say, role, are you saying Saka's going to become Salah in terms of goal output? I think possibly. Well, I, it just wouldn't surprise me if we suddenly see a big leap in his output and we yeah. see him posting 20 plus. I, I think it's going to happen Great. at some I don't see why it wouldn't happen at some stage. Mm-hmm. He's too good. And is, you know, he, there's no denying that he gets into goal scoring positions regularly and he's a very good finisher and he takes pens sometimes, which helps as well. So, um, yeah, I think Arsenal will build on last season but again it's going to be very competitive to do so and I'm, I'm intrigued to see how they approach their Champions League well, um, what do you think about City then we've, we've got them winning the league so I've mentioned that I think that, that the sort of obvious knocks on them as if you could have many knocks on a team that's just won basically everything there was to win apart from uh, last weekend's Community Shield of course um, you know in the stuff like Will they be motivated to go again or will they have lost a little bit of their hunger? You know, that sort of stuff. Where, where do you stand on discussions like that pre-season? So, they are, City are five to six best price to win the league right now. Um, and I, I wouldn't be backing them at five to six. Yeah. But that doesn't change the fact that in my mind there's just absolutely no question that they are the most likely winners. So therefore, when you're doing this, you have to put them first. Um, last season, again, it's easy to forget that last season they were second best for a long part of the campaign where mm. Arsenal with a, with a better side. And they weren't really convincing that there was talk of crises. We saw Pep changing people's roles and systems and teams week by week. He then obviously found the winning system and they, you know, they, they were unbelievably good for the last few months of the season. John Stones has moved into central midfield, has given them a bit more controlling games and you know, his weird ball-carrying ability that no one knew he had has been, has been a massive success story. But again, that was a small, very... like. <laughs> small sample size of games and just to assume that's going to continue I'm not necessarily sure but the fact remains they've lost Gundogan they've lost Mares, they brought in Kovacic who I think is going to be a completely different player at Manchester City under Pep Guardiola he's a player that I adore his ball carrying ability plus his uh, kind of short range passing and is again a player who is so good in tight spaces I think he'll be a brilliant addition to City's team um, Vardiol is obviously a you know I, I didn't, wasn't aware they need another left footed centre back but they've gone and got another better one um, you know, when you look, look at what Akanji Nake have done, he's clearly a big upgrade. I think in time he'll be someone who'll be a huge player for them. But it's Pep Guardiola. Like, he is someone who, you know, with, with Arsenal and Arteta, you know, Arteta has done an incredible job to take Arsenal from where they were to, to, where, to where they are now. But I, it's too early to, like, make comparisons of his innate genius uh-huh. than it is to Guardiola, who is just a serial winner of the last two decades wherever he goes. Yes, with incredible squads, but the way that he gets teams to gel and play has been so impressive. But I do think there has to be an, an argument here that now that they've won the Champions League, you know, they've won the treble, they've, they've, they've basically done it all, is this the moment where this era of, you know, if you think the football is cyclical, is this era of dominance going to start coming to an end now? Is the motivation still going to be there? Can they keep up that intensity just to go and 
to win another Premier League yet again. We're going to see. I personally think at five to six are too short. But as I say, I, I, I just I think I'd be being disingenuous if we put anyone else first. So there you have it. That is our 20 to 1 or 1 to 20 in the Premier League this season. I'll run through it quickly now. We've got City winning the league, Arsenal in second, Liverpool third, Manchester United in fourth, Chelsea fifth, Newcastle sixth, Brighton seventh, Tottenham eighth, Aston Villa ninth, Brentford tenth, Burnley eleventh, Bournemouth twelfth, Fulham thirteenth, Nottingham Forest fourteenth, Crystal Palace fifteenth, West Ham sixteenth, Luton seventeenth, Everton, Wolves, Sheffield United, the bottom three. Let us know what you think in the comments if you like, but even better, just enter the million pound predictor that has been launched by Odds Checker this season in time for the new Premier League campaign. It's free to enter. You get one entry per person. They close on the 15th of September at four o'clock. Loads of time to get your entries in. 18 plus, UK only, full T's and C's do apply. Make sure you enter that a million pounds. One million pounds. You could buy like a really good League One centre-back. I'm a bit upset that we've submitted a joint one because it's 500 grand each. Do you want to know what's good? Go on. We haven't submitted it. So you can do your one, I'll do my one. Still got a few weeks to do that. One per person, not one per two people. Uh, so yeah, that is our uh, our team there. Hopefully you've enjoyed the preview. Make sure you subscribe to the Odds Checker. Uh, uh, make sure you subscribe to the Odds Checker YouTube channel where you can find loads more Odds Checker betting shows across different sports. Uh, but that was our Premier League preview. Uh, please do ensure that you're gambling responsibly. Make sure you download the Odds Checker app for all of these prices and plenty of markets ahead of the campaign starting. Enjoy the start to the season.